Welcome to all those joining us for the Shir and Chaim Aran. We begin a new section today, Inyan Hamachloikas Sholov, regarding the opposition against Rabbeinazal. This is a, I consider this a very delicate chapter, and I hope that everyone will, will hear what's being said here and understand it the right way, take it all the right way. The entire Sefer Chaim Aran is a more personal, inside look at Rabbeinazal, as presented by Rabbeinazal. And uh, again, we're speaking to people who are familiar with Rabbeinazal, familiar with Rabbeinazal's teachings, and hopefully have the proper respect for everything that's, that's being said here. The first paragraph in this section, Shin Sadik Beis 392, Rav says that Rav once commented, how is it possible that people shouldn't oppose me since I'm going on a brand new path? I'm leading people on a brand new path that no one has ever gone on this path from the time that the Torah was given on Har Sinai even though it's really a very old path, despite that, it's completely new. And this is something that's mentioned, that's spoken about throughout Rabbi Nezal's teachings, regarding, especially regarding the topic of Hispoidus, which is one of the most important things that Rabbi Nezal emphasized, speaking Tashem in your own words. And Rabbi Nezal said that this, in many ways, is the most important connection that a person could have to Hashem <clears throat> and on one hand a person who studies the Sefer Hishtabchus HaNefesh which is a, a collection of everything written in Rabbi Nezal's forum and Rabbi Nezal's forum on the topic of tefillah in general and Hispoidus and in, in the introduction to the Sefer the author goes through the, the Medrashim and the Gemaras and the Zohar Kodesh from the time of Odom Arishain till, till Rabbeinazal's time, showing how every tzaddik did this. Every tzaddik spoke to Hashem in his own words. And it shows countless proofs of how special this is and how important it is and how it applies to every single person on every level from the most religious, from the highest level Tamidei Chachamim to the simplest Jew who has no who's, who's not yet performing any mitzvahs at all, that all of us need to be involved in this and to take this very seriously and, and yet it's considered, there are many people that say never heard of this and it's something completely new, and, and people who don't know will say, where does it say in the Torah? Or, you know, Rabbi Nachman invented something new. And, and Rabbi Nassau here is, is teaching us that the derech that he gave over to his students regarding his spiritus, regarding getting the emphasis on waking up for chatzois, and other, all, many simcha, all the things that Rabbi Nassau taught, if a person wants to be honest, they're all really there from before. They're all there from the time that Hashem gave the Torah to Moshe Rabbeinu on Har Sinai. And yet, as Rav Zal tells us, from the time, from the time of, of, uh, 
of the Balshemtov, the fire of Hasidus that the Balshemtov had ignited in the world, had started to die down. It was starting to cool off and weaken. And Rabbeinazel came along, a great grandson of the Balshemtov, <coughs> and lit a brand new fire and infused a new enthusiasm and passion for Yiddishkeit, for all facets of Yiddishkeit, Bein Adam Lamokoim, regarding a person's relationship with Hashem, Bein Adam Lechaveiroi, emphasizing and teaching the, the deep love and Mesiras Nefesh that each Jew should have for every fellow Jew. And, and in this respect, Rabbein Azal said that this is a Derech Yoshan Ma'oid, it's a very old, old path, that dates back to Adam Arishain and Avram Yitzhak Yaakov, and yet it's completely new. The way Rabbeinazal presented it, <coughs> and the, the, the sources and everything that Rabbeinazal put to it, are something completely new. The next paragraph, Shin Sadigimel 393, Rabbeinazal said <coughs> that even if the Baal Shem Tov and the Arizal were in the world now, when Rabbeinazal was alive, they, they wouldn't be able to compare with me. <coughs> In Yiddish he said, Zei wollten sich nicht gekennt, ois gleichen mit mir. <coughs> mit mir gleich ois kommen. <coughs> Meaning again, that each one of these incredible tzaddikim brought incredible news to the world. The Arizal opened up a whole new production and a whole new revelation of the Zohar Kodesh, of the entire Torah, the written Torah, the oral Torah, and, and taught and gave tikkunim to his students and to the world in his Sforim, the Baal Shem Tov came along and gave a new program that differed from what the Arizal presented. The Arizal's, some of the things that the Arizal presented were extremely difficult, and very, very few people would be capable of doing it. Fasts, 84 fasts, rolling in snow, different things. The Baal Shem Tov presented a different program, <coughs> which in many respects was easier, was made for a weaker generation. And the Baal Shem Tov was to leave an incredible, powerful mark in the world with the students, the people he was Makarev. And yet, Rabbeinazal says that already during Rabbeinazal's time, which was 50, 70 years after the Baal Shem Tov passed away, things, it was cooling down. It was cooling down. And Rabbein Azal came along and lit a new fire among, among his students, among all the people that he affected. And we see that that fire is raging today. We see that Rabbein Azal, the mark that Rabbein Azal left in the world, that there are new people every single day coming, studying Rabbein Azal's writings, coming close taking on this derech, and people coming from all different angles. Some of the most learned people and most advanced people, and people who it looks like would have no chance at all at ever becoming observant Jews. And this tzaddik, this tzaddik has, has presented a program which it seems is able to connect with both extremes and able to infuse new life into Klal Yisrael, and to those that are willing and open to hear it, to study it with honesty. The next statement, Shin Sadik Dalit, Rabbein Azal said, there are people 
that don't know me at all, and yet they and they oppose me. And Rabbein Azal said, we find in the Zohar Kodesh, in the beginning of Shmois, where it speaks about that the Jews were in Egypt already for hundreds of years, from the time that Yosef HaTzadik and his brothers came down, with Yaakov Avinu, came down to Mitzrayim, until the time that Moshe Rabbeinu appears on the scene, <coughs> and the Torah tells us that Paroi died, or Paroi made a radical change in his attitude towards, towards the Jews, and Paroi says to the people, to his nation, Chovo Nishak Moloi. Let's think deeply. Let's really give this thought the Jewish problem, which, which Paroi initiated during his time. So the Zohar Kodesh says, do you think that Paroi went to each and every individual person in his kingdom and said to them, Hovon is Maloi? You know, let's, let's get together and make a plan how to, how, to, how to oppress or how to get rid of the Jewish people. He didn't do that. But rather, he was able to, they were able to use propaganda in a sense and be able to say certain things which would inject into people's hearts a fear of the Jewish people and a, a desire to want to together figure out a plan how to make sure that the Jews would never, never ever be able to rise to any powerful position. So Rabbi Nezal said regarding him also that there are people who don't know him at all, meaning they never studied his forum or anything, and yet they'll tell other people that you're not allowed to learn this, it's trait. Did you learn? Did you look at it? Did you investigate it? Did you really, really check out what this is all about before assuming that it's trafe, that it's not good, and actually telling this to people? Any questions, please, so far? Question in the chat. But should the advice of Hispoidus invite such opposition? The answer is yes. If it's important, if it's something very, very special, then the Satan will obviously try to do everything he can to block it. One of the 13 stories that Rabbi Nezal told in Sipurim Isis, Rabbi Nachman's stories, the story of the Rav Uben Yochid, the rabbi who had an only son, and he loved him very much, and this only son at one point reached a certain low, where he didn't feel any joy, he didn't feel any enthusi- any any passion in his learning and davening. And he spoke it over with some close friends, and they told him, you have to go to a particular tzaddik, to this tzaddik, and he'll be able to help you. And the son tries to convince his father to let him go, and the story, I, we're not going to go into the detail, but the father opposes this, he tries to convince him not to go again and again, many times. Finally, the son insists he has to go, and the father says, I'm going to go with you, because it's his only son. He's concerned for his safety. But we're going to make a test. If we see everything goes smooth, then we'll know that this is something Hashem wants. If we see strange things happen, if we see obstacles or problems come up, it'll be a proof, an indication that Hashem doesn't want us to do this. And sure enough, they set out on the journey and right away something goes wrong. And the father says, you see, you see, it's a clear proof that Hashem doesn't want us to do this. Let's go home. 
They go home. The son again tries to learn and daven and doesn't feel any joy, doesn't feel any chiyas, any life in his, in his mitzvahs. And he insists on going again. And the father again says the same thing. We'll make a test. If everything goes smooth and properly, we know that it's what Hashem wants. If not, it's, it's a proof that it's not what Hashem wants. And Reb Nachman Chirin, one of Reb Nachman's greatest students in explaining the story, says that the father made a terrible mistake. When, when a person sees that there are obstacles or there's opposition to something, that's not necessarily a proof that it's wrong. We find the Torah, ta- Yosef HaTzadik, had opposition. From whom? From ten of the leading tzaddikim of the generation. The Shiftei Kah, the greatest rabbis, Ruvain, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun, super tzaddikim, they opposed him. Was that a proof that he was wrong? The Torah tells us that he was clearly, he told them his dream, that they're all going to bow to him, they're all going to become completely subservient to him, which they did, which they did. And the famous Gemara in the beginning of Brachas, where the Gemara says that there are three things, three of the most important things that don't come easy, that come through suffering, that come with struggle and difficulty, with Yisurim, Eretz Yisrael, to acquire Eretz Yisrael, to acquire Torah, and to acquire Olam Haba. So we see clearly, the Gemara is making it perfectly clear, that even though Hashem wants a person to acquire these things, but it must come with difficulties, with obstacles. So certainly, if a person wants to achieve the emes of the Torah, the person wants to achieve the real light of the Torah, the Satan will try to do everything he possibly can to prevent a person. And one of the ways that he does that is by making machlokis against tzaddikim, and especially against the tzaddik, who's in the greatest position to help Klal Yisrael. That's why in that story, Rav Nachman says, they didn't tell him, go to a tzaddik. They said, go to this tzaddik and he'll be in a position to help you. Because tzaddikim are not all the same. No two tzaddikim are the same. And there is a tzaddik who's in a position to be able to help everyone in Klal Yisrael, everyone and anyone. And the, the Satan, the Sahara knows this, and therefore he, he will do everything possible to try to prevent people from coming close to that particular tzaddik. Rav Nosanzar writes in Likutei he will even, the Satan, the Yitzhahara, will even give fame, success, money to other tzaddikim. If in doing that, it'll be able to minimize the, the, the fame and respect and the drawing power of the tzaddik who's in a position to help Klal Yisrael the most. We'll do the next paragraph, and then we'll take questions again. Rab Nosanzal writes, I heard from Reb Yudel. Reb Yudel was one of Rabbi Nachman's closest students. Before he met Rabbi Nachman, he himself was a Rebbe. He had students. He was a Mekubal. He was very knowledgeable in Sifrei Kabbalah, and he had students who were outstanding. And then he became Mekur of Tu so Rav Nosanzal says, <clears throat> he told me something that Rav had shared with him. Rav said, Avram Avinu 
also had major suffering and opposition from stories like the things that are going on with us. Because Avram Avinu was also involved in bringing the youth close to Hashem. The Medrash tells us that Avram Avinu and Sarah were involved in being Megayar Gerim, in helping people convert to come close to Hashem. And Rabbi Nassau went into a description. How did Avram Avinu actually do this? He would come into a city and he would run in the city and he'd be screaming, Oi, Gewald, Gewald! Like making an announcement, everybody wake up! And people would run after him like people run after somebody who they think is crazy. They think it's funny or fun. They'd run after him. And Avram Avinu would argue with them, debate with them, how they're all making a terrible mistake. During Avram Avinu's time, idol worship was very prevalent. That was the norm. And Avram Avinu was knowledgeable. He knew all of their reasons, all the reasons they had, all the logic they had, and all the wisdom that was involved at the time in their idol worship. Because the Avodah in those generations wasn't silliness, Rabbi Nezal says. They had many svaros, they had tremendous logic, there was logic and intelligence as to why they felt that this was, this was the right way to connect to the creator of the world. There was a, a just a, a, to touch on it in a sense, their attitude, many of them felt that the creator of the world is too great to busy himself with human beings and with this physical materialistic world, and therefore he appointed lower level gods, the sun and the moon and others, and they're the ones that actually control what's going on in the world, etc. And Avram Avinu was very knowledgeable in, in their whole ideology, and he would rebuke them and prove to them that they were completely mistaken. And he revealed to them the true emuna, emunen Hashem, emunen, and and the some of the youth were drawn to him. Rabbi Nassau explained because the older people, he didn't try to be makari them, because generally older people are very rooted <clears throat> in their ways, and it's very very difficult to change them, like a tree. When a tree is young, when it's a sapling, you can bend it, you can do different things to, 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 to dictate the direction you want to go, to go in. Once it's grown for a certain period of time, there's no flexibility. You can't bend it in any way. <clears throat> so Rabbi Nezal said it was only the Bnei Hanaurim, the youth, that were drawn to Avram Avinu and, and followed him. And he would go from city to city and they would follow him. They would run after him. And their parents, their fathers, and their wives would oppose them, these youths, these young people, because they said to them that you're going on a wrong path. You're, 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 you're converting out of the true religion, out of idol worship, to the point where their, their relatives, the parents and the wives, would distance them. They would, they, would, they would consider them like lepers, people who you have to stay far away from. And unfortunately, some of these youths ended up going back to idol worship because of the suffering and the opposition that they had from their homes, from their fathers-in-law, from their parents, from their wives, etc. But some of them still remained close to Avram Avinu, and they stuck to him.
and Avram Avinu spent a lot of time and effort in broadcasting emuna, holy emuna, in the world. And he 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 wrote many svarim, many books on this. Rabbeinus, I'll use the word, thousands of svarim were spread at that time. And Avram Avinu had many children. And probably since he had children, they all followed the, the righteous path, the fair path of Avram Avinu. Because we find that even Yishmael, the Gemara tells us in Baba Basra, that even Yishmael ended up doing tshuva towards the end of his life. And afterwards, when Avram Avinu realized that he was going to be leaving the world, and he wanted his svarim and his ideology to remain in the world, he thought deeply in terms of which one of his children should he bequeath, should he give over all of his svarim and all of his knowledge, until he came to the decision to give it all to Yitzchak Avinu. And sure enough, he gave everything over to Yitzchak. Afterwards, Yitzchak Avinu followed the same path as his father. He was also involved in bringing, helping people convert to, to serving Hashem. Also made many gerim and also produced many sfarim regarding emuna, emuna and Hashem. <clears throat> and Yitzchak Avinu also thought deeply when he realized that he was going to be leaving, be leaving the world, whom should he leave his sforim to and his ideology? Because Esav also found favor in Yitzchak Avinu's eyes. Esav was able to fool Yitzchak Avinu to a degree, to the point where he loved him. This is this week's Parsha. We're going to be reading Parsha's Toildois, Ve'ele Toildois Yitzchak ben Avraham, Avraham Hoyledes Yitzchak, and it's going to speak about Yitzchak Avinu afterwards, giving birth to Yaakov and Esav. And the Torah says clearly, Vayehav Yitzchak es Esav kitzayid b'thiv, that Yitzchak Avinu loved Esav because Esav hunted Yitzchak with his mouth. He tricked him, he trapped Yitzchak Avinu using his mouth. He would ask Yitzchak Avinu questions. How does one take miser from salt? And other questions like this that the Midrash brings. However, Yitzchak Avinu thought deeply into all of this until it became clear to him that the right person to continue this tradition and this true heritage was Yaakov Avinu, and Yitzchak Avinu gave everything over to him. And so too Yaakov Avinu was involved in this same work of being Mekarev, the youth, to Hashem. And Yaakov Avinu also generated thousands of Sforim on faith, because he himself wrote many new svarim in addition to the ones that Avraham and Yitzchak had produced regarding faith. And, and, and Rabbeinus, I'll use the word, guzmois of svarim, really a huge amount of svarim that he spread. And Yaakov Avinu taught his sons the path of Emunah, <clears throat> because Yaakov Avinu's sons were all tzaddikim. And yet, Yaakov Avinu had to think deeply when he would leave the world, to whom should he give over all of his Chachma until he gave all of his Chachma over to Levi. And to the others, he gave Roshe Prokin. He taught them about Emunah, but not in the same detail 
and, and with all the full explanations that he gave to Levi. And this is why we find that the tribe of Levi were the ones who were strongest in their faith in Hashem, more so than the other tribes. And that's why we find that when it came to the Egel Hazahav, the golden calf, the Torah tells us that Shevet Levi were not included at all whatsoever. And in addition, during the time that the Jews were in Egypt, Shevet Levi was exempt from work. They were considered the priests, the, the holy section of the Jewish people, because they were the ones who were strongest in their emuna. And then after, this is how Rabbi Nezal explained to Rabbi Yudel that the opposition that you see us going through now in our time, Avram Avinu, Yitzhak Avinu, all those who were involved in outreach, and especially in trying to bring the youth close to Hashem, they all experienced these tremendous obstacles and opposition. It didn't come easy at all. And afterwards, after this discussion, that was when Rabbi Nassau gave over the advice that if a person wants to be sure that they'll be able to come to Rabbi Nassau after they pass away, after the person passes away, Rabbi Nassau gave the Eitzah of a person making a Shavua, Benekitas Chefetz, a person taking a holy object like a Sefer Torah or a pair of tefillin and, and making a vow saying that I will, when, after I pass away, I will make it clear that I want to go straight to my Rebbe, to my Rebbe, Rebbe Nachman, Rebbe Nachman ben Fega, Rebbe Nachman ben Simcha. This Shavua Benekitas Chefetz, we spoke about this at length earlier in the Shuram and Chaim Aran that we had. A good question in the chat, but wasn't Yosef HaTzadik the true heir to Yaakov Avinu and not Levi? We know that Rabbi Nezal speaks about this, Rabbi Nezal, they both speak at length about the fact that, again, this week's Parsha, <coughs> where it says, Eile toildois Yaakov, Yosef that these are the children of Yaakov Avinu, Yosef. And, and we're told there that the life of Yosef HaTzadik paralleled the life of Yaakov Avinu. And, and we're told, Rav Nosanzal writes on the Kutah clearly, that Yaakov Avinu gave over most of his knowledge and everything to Yosef HaTzadik. And, and both are true. The Torah tells us both of these. So it seems that both of these, both Levi where the Torah makes it perfectly clear that not just Levi, but his whole tribe was noticeably <coughs> head and shoulders above the rest of Klal Yisrael in their devotion to Hashem, to the point where even in Egypt they were given this recognition. They were exempt from the hard labor and the Egel Hazor, these examples. And on the other hand, among the brothers themselves, Yosef HaTzadik, we see, had a very unique role. So both are definitely true. Question? What do you think uh, allowed Shimon, at the end of Yaakov's life, Shimon and Levi got a lot of tochacha, right? And what do you think allowed Levi to rise above this this first status that he had of a a fighter to to a learner? Question regarding Levi who we're, we're describing here as so holy and etc. <clears throat> and yet we're told that Shimon and Levi were the ones who joined together 
to wipe out the city of Shechem when their sister Dina had been taken captive. And also, <coughs> they were the main ones who Yosef HaTzadik was afraid of. That was why the Torah tells us that when the brothers came down and Yosef HaTzadik wanted to take one of them as hostage, <coughs> in order to, he did it in order to separate Shimon from Levi, because he knew that if these two could get together, it could be big trouble. The answer is the Torah, we know that there's Bechira, there's Bechira, and everyone, even the greatest of tzaddikim, go through aliyos and yuridos, they go through changes, changes. So we could see that a pers- at, a pers- at a certain point in a person's life, there's a certain role, and a certain point it's different. Here, Rabbi Nezal's focusing, that we see that, and, and we know between the two, between the two, Shimon was cursed, that his followers, his, his descendants, would be poor, the, the Torah tells us in the Birchas Yaakov Avinu over there. And, and Levi somehow, even though he was involved with Shimon in the destruction of, of uh, the city of Shechem, which Yaakov Avinu was upset at, and, and yet when it came to Yosef HaTzadik, Shimon was the one who played the leading role. Any other questions? The next paragraph, Shin Sadik Vov, 396. <clears throat> in Uman, where Rabbeinazal lived the last five or six months of his life, Rabbeinazal spoke about the opposition against him and that they, they make up all kinds of lies, things that are not true. And Rabbeinazal quoted a Pasuk in the Navi Hoshea in chapter 10. Just a moment. I'm sorry, it's chapter 7 in Hosea. Yes. <clears throat> Where the Navi, the Navi here says, Oilohem ki notadu mimeni. Woe is to them that they drifted away from me. Shoid lohem ki foshuvi. They experienced all kinds of terrible destruction because they, they did terrible things against me. V'onoichi efteim. And I will redeem them. V'heim odibru alike sovim. And they spoke all kinds of lies about me. So here, Rabbi Nezal, when he spoke about the Machlekes, he didn't mention the entire Pasuk. He just said those two words, V'onoichi efdeim, and I'm the one who will redeem them in the end. We hear the Novi is expressing the fact that he wants to do all kinds of good for the people, and they spread all kinds of lies against him. 
So Rav Nassazal points out that Rav Nassazal only said those two words, Va'anoichi evdeim, and he said them with the beautiful musical notes of the Pasuk, like when a person says the Haftoirah, as a person understands. So again, Rav Nassazal was making it perfectly clear that even those who opposed him, he would be the one who would, <coughs> who would have to be, do what was necessary for their tikkun. Just like we find the Arizal tells us about Koirach, we know the Torah tells us about the incredible Machloikis that Koirach riled up against Moshe Rabbeinu, joining forces with Dosan Vaviram, getting 250 leading rabbis of the Sanhedrin to join in this Machloikis and causing such a horrific, horrific rebellion against Moshe Rabbeinu in Klal Yisrael, where Hashem made an earthquake, made the earth open up and swallow them, and a fire that destroyed the 250 Rosh Sanhedrin. Terrible, terrible things. And the Arizal says, who is going to be involved in the Tikkun for Koirach? Moshe Rabbeinu. The Arizal quotes the Pasuk, Tzadik Katomor Yifrach, Ki Erez Balvonon Yiske, that there'll come a time in the future when the tzaddik will grow, will blossom like a palm tree, tall like a palm tree. And the Arizal says the last letters of those three words, tzaddik katomor yifrach, spell the word koirach. That when Moshe Rabbeinu, the first letters, tzaddik chaf yud, are bigimatria 120. That Moshe Rabbeinu, who lived 120 years in this world, after 120, Moshe Rabbeinu is the one who will be involved in the Tikkun of Koirach. So here also Rabbeinu Zal said this, regarding the people who spread lies about him and who, who made major opposition. The next paragraph Shin Sadik Zayin. <clears throat> Rav Nassazal writes, Rav Nassazal was once speaking about the, the incredible level that he had reached and, and his ability to benefit Klal Yisrael. And within the conversation, Rav Nassazal quoted <clears throat> the, the Pasuk in Divrei Hayomim, in the second half of Divrei Hayomim, Chapter Lamed Beis, where right before that, at the end of Chapter Lamed Aleph, <coughs> the pasuk says, "Vayas kozois chiskiyohu bechol Yehuda," that Chizkiyo Hamelech, who was a descendant of Dovid Hamelech, did incredible things on the part of Klal Yisrael. And he did what was good and what was righteous and what was true for the sake of Hashem. And everything that Chizkiah Melech started in, in serving Hashem and the Torah and mitzvahs to seek Lidroi Shlelikov Bechol to seek Hashem with his whole heart. Also, this is what he did, the Hitzliach, and he was successful. That's how chapter 31 ends in, in, in the second half of Divrei Yomim. Chapter 32 begins 
אחר הדבורים, after all of this, ואחר הדבורים והאמס האלה, after all of this, after all these incredible accomplishments of חזקיהו המלך, and after the אמס of חזקיהו המלך, בו סנחרב מלך אשור. סנחרב, the king of אשור, came along and turned the whole world upside down. And, and made, attacked the Jewish people. He brought a, an army of 185,000 generals, not soldiers, generals, an army of millions of soldiers to attack the Jewish people <coughs> to make Melchama against Yerushalayim, the next paragraph. So Rabbi Nassau commented, Rabbi Nassau said about this, he said, take a look at what it says in the Novi, אחר הדבורים והאמס ואלה בו סנחרב. And Rav Nassim Sal writes, understand clearly what we see here, that after the Torah tells us what kind of a true tzaddik Chizkiyahu HaMelech was, סנחרב came and caused tremendous pain and suffering to Chizkiyahu. And therefore a person learning this doesn't have to be surprised or shocked anymore when they see that there's major machloikis against true tzaddikim. Any questions, please? What was the real cause and effect here? <clears throat> the cause was a tremendous, a great tzaddik who was in a position to help the world in a very big way. And, and the, the, the satan, the fact that there must be free choice, there always has to be a balance between good and bad in the world so that people are faced with a choice. There has to be an equal opposing force generally to be able to oppose this great tzaddik. We know that on Yom Kippur, one of the most important avoidas that the Kongodal did on Yom Kippur was he had to take two goats that looked identical. And one goat was used to offer the holiest korban possibly of the entire year, the Sor Lashem that was brought on Yom Kippur. Its blood was sprinkled inside the Holy of Holies. The other goat, which looked identical, had to have all the sins of the entire Jewish nation transferred onto it, and it was not brought as a sacrifice in the Beis Hamikdash at all. It was taken to a mountain and pushed off the mountain to fall and get crushed against the, the walls of the mountain, etc., and thereby absolving Klal Yisrael from all of its sins. And the mountain was called Azazel. That's the name of that mountain. <clears throat> and the Sforim tell us that the word Azazel makes up the first letters of the Pasuk, Zeh Le'umas Zeh Oseh Loikim. This, in equal opposition, parallel to that, Hashem created. That there always has to be a balance between good and bad in the world, so that people should have Bechira. So if there is a great Tzaddik who is in a position to repair the entire world, There has to be a powerful opposing force that can draw people to itself and, and pull people away from the tzaddik or block people from getting close to the tzaddik in order for there to be this bechira. Any other questions?
regarding, Rav Nelson Zal says now, regarding the decrees that the, the Russian government at, during their time wanted to issue against the Jewish people. This is referring specifically to the Cantonese decrees of, of um, drafting Jewish children into the army at a young age, 10, 11, 12 years old, to take them into the army for a period of 25 years, for them to be conscripted in the Russian army for a period of 25 years. And during Rabbi Nezal's time, they heard that this is what the government is planning. This was how they wanted to tear these children away from Judaism, away from their families, away from Jewish homes, to get them to eat non-kosher, forget about Shabbos, forget about Yiddishkeit completely. And Rav Nelson Zal writes that unfortunately, due to our many sins, these decrees did end up coming out about 25 years later, during Rav Nelson Zal's time, after Rav Nelson had already passed away. <clears throat> so Rav Nelson Zal says, I heard that Rav Nelson was once speaking about this, and he said that he had the ability to provide an etza, a solution in order to be able to nullify <clears throat> those decrees completely. However, he said, what can I do that other leaders are not in agreement with me and they're opposing me? And Rabbi Nassau brought proof from a Gemara in Tainus. The Gemara says in Tainus, page 14, the Gemara says <clears throat> that there was a tremendous lack of rain at one point, and Rabbi Yehuda Nisiyor decreed, the Gemara there speaks about fast, fast days, that the rabbis would decree it, when they saw that there was a major lack of rain and the, the, the food supply of the Klal Yisrael was in jeopardy. So he decreed 13 fasts and the rain had not come yet. And he wanted to, he wanted to continue, he wanted the Jews to continue with another set of fasts. But the Gemara says he couldn't do it because Rabbi Ami and some of the other Rebbe's disagreed with him. And Rabbi Nassau brought this as an example that here again, even if you have a tzaddik who, who has the ability, who knows what to do to provide a solution to exere a certain problem, if other chachamim are, oppose him, they can block it, they can prevent it from happening. They can prevent the tzaddik from being able to succeed in nullifying the decree. And Rabbi Nassau actually said at the time, because there were people that were saying, no, it's never going to happen, they'll never do such a thing, Hashem would never let such a thing happen. And Rabbi Nassau said, what, are they crazy? What about, there was a churban Beis Hamikdash, both Beis Hamikdash was destroyed, millions of Jews were killed. What are they saying? Hashem would never let this happen. We have to do everything we can to fight, to battle these, this decree. And the other, some of the other leaders at the time didn't realize how right Rabbi Nizal was. And Rabbi Nizal told his students at the time once, when he was speaking to them, shortly before Purim, Rabbi Nizal said that Purim is coming and the Jews are going to celebrate Purim. And in this celebration, they're going to clap hands and they're going to dance. And Rabbi Nizal gave a whole incredible shir, chapter 10 in Likut Imran, explaining how clapping hands and dancing is one of the special things that can sweeten, that can eliminate harsh decrees. And Rabbi Nizal that year danced a lot in tefillah. And, 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 and Rabbi Nizal told his students that Baruch Hashem, we've succeeded in pushing off the decree for 20 some odd years. 
Those were the words that he used, 20-some-odd years. Rav Nassanzal writes that that's exactly what we saw happen. 25 years later is when that decree, the Cantonese decree, went into effect during Rav Nassanzal's time, where they were grabbing kids out of Jewish homes. And they were Jews who cooperated. They were Jews who were anti-religious at the time, who cooperated with the Russians to try to tear these children away from their religious parents with the hope that they would become secular. They would be able to assimilate with the Russian people. Rahman al-Islam. Any questions? question in the chat. So how was this horrific attack of Hamas, Yemach Shemom, on October 7th, this year, 2023, how did it happen on Shabbos, not just Shabbos, but Shabbos and Simchas Torah, if Hashem protects on Shabbos, as is mentioned in the Zohar? <clears throat> the answer is, unfortunately, many of those people were not observing Shabbos. There was a major desecration taking place of Shabbos at that time. Not that we know that that's the reason, or that's the cause, or that's the only cause of what happened, but we see again throughout history, the, the Nazi regime, didn't, their, their success didn't stop on Shabbos, it went on for a few years. We know that sometimes when a decree goes into effect, the decree can override Shabbos, the decree can override even Sadikim. The Zohar Kodesh tells a story of once when Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyzal came to a city, and there was a plague in the city, and he warned his students, everybody stay indoors, everybody stay inside, because when the, when the Malach is given permission to destroy <clears throat> in, in a plague, he has the ability, anyone who's, who's vulnerable, anyone who's outside can be harmed, even if they don't necessarily deserve to be harmed. Chas v'shalom. So we don't know, we don't know, I don't know if anybody can say with definiteness why that decree happened and why it took place on Shabbos, on Simchas Torah. We do know that Hashem wants all of us to do tshuva. We do know that that's something that's emphasized many times, that the, what, what, will, what will guarantee and ensure Moshiach's coming and an end to all the Jewish suffering is if all of us try to do a, a real tshuva. And, and the master, the Baal tshuva, is the tzaddik. The tzaddik is the one who really knows what tshuva is all about. And studying the forum of the tzaddikim, they're the ones who guide us, who show us what each and every one of us needs to improve, what we need to do. The next paragraph, Shin Sadik Tes, 399. Rav Nosan says, we were once speaking to Rav Enesal about gramen. In Yiddish, there's a term gramen, which means rhymes. There was and still is a custom among Hasidim sometimes that at a very happy occasion, at a wedding, or sometimes on Purim, there are people who are capable of writing gramen, writing rhymes, things that rhyme together like a, a type of a poem, 
which, in which everything rhymes, writing about the chassan and kala, sometimes the bride and the groom, saying all kinds of interesting things about the bride and groom, the, the parents, the consuegros on both sides, all of them, that make people laugh, that make people enjoy the simcha. And Rabbi Nassau said, there is something to this. The fact that this is something that's been accepted, it's become sort of a custom among the Jewish people. And Rav Nassau says, I don't remember exactly what Rav Nassau said about it, whether he said that everybody does this or some other expression. And Rav Nassau brought proof from a Pasuk in Yeshaya Hanavi, chapter 5, where the Pasuk there writes a short rhyme. It says, Vayekav lemishpat, the people were hoping that they would see justice, Vehine misbach, Instead of mishpat, they saw misbach. Misbach means violence. Litzdoka, they were hoping to receive charity and kindness. Vehinei tzaoka, and instead there were screams, desperate screams. So this is an example of a rhyme that we see in the Torah. So we see that there is such a thing in Yiddishkeit, this concept of words sometimes that are similar, that the pronunciation is similar, and sometimes they mean the exact opposite of each other. And sometimes when a person wants to bring us across a certain message in a powerful way, this is one of the ways that it's done. The next paragraph, Tough 400, Rav Nassar writes, <coughs> the incredible, the holy discussion that Rav Nassar had regarding how we see the world operating today. And Rav Nassar said, this is not just today, but we've seen this many times previously, that people who are, on, who are very small mentally, people who are not the real people who are qualified for leadership positions, and yet they're the ones who become famous, they're the ones in major leadership positions, and people look up to them, people idolize them, they're the stars, they're the politicians, they're the, the, <clears throat> the wealthy people in some cases, <clears throat> and the world did not necessarily conduct itself with truth. That, that the leaders should be ones who are truly qualified to be leaders, people to be respected, people to be idolized. And Rabbi Nassar said, but despite this, despite this, there was always a, an individual who was in a very lowly position and would laugh, he would laugh at the whole world, laugh at this mockery in a sense that's going on. And he was actually the one who was responsible for providing for the entire world in his merit. We know the Gemara makes such a statement. The Gemara says, Kol ha'olam nizayn bishvil chanina b'ni. The Gemara says, the entire world is nourished, receives its nourishment, its parnasa, its bracha, through my son, Rabbi Chanina, Hashem said. Rabbi Chanina, my beloved son, Rabbi Chanina ben Doisa. And the Gemara says, V'chanina b'ni, dailoi bekav charuvim. And my son, Chanina, he exists on a bag of charuvin, bakzer, carob. That's what he eats. So the Gemara is giving us an example that Rabbi Hanina seemed to be a very poor, simple, you would think a lowly person, 
and yet Hashem declared the entire world is getting their Shefa and Parnasa through him. The word Bishvil means because of, and a Shivil also means a path. He's the pipe. He's the pipe that Sinor from which the entire world is receiving its Shefa. And this individual, Rabbi Nezal said, had tremendous pleasure with Hashem. And he lived a real, perfect, complete life that could be defined as living, really living. Because Rabbi Nezal said there are a lot of different types of life. People, you know, people experiencing what they call living. <clears throat> we find, Rabbi Nezal said, sometimes you could have people who are, who are living with tremendous suffering and, and nobody knows, people don't know. It looks to them on the outside as if these people are having a great time, they're enjoying life, they're being successful, whereas in truth, their life is filled with pain. And even regarding pain, Rabbi Nezal says, there are all kinds of different types of pain. And even a person who isn't actually suffering, still their life could be different from somebody else. Everyone living a different type of life completely, as we see. And Rabbi Nezal said, we see that the life of a horse, we see a horse living, and the life that the horse is living cannot be compared to, to the life of a human being. Meaning that just like we see in Gashmias, in the physical world, there are major differences between life, the life that different beings are experiencing, so too Baruchnius, when we speak about spirituality, when we speak about Torah and mitzvahs and tefillah, there are vast differences between people. And, and there are people who even while they're in this world can be zeichet to true chayim, to true life, and there's the opposite chas v'shalom. And again, Rabbi Nezal said there are many, many, there's all kinds of variations of this. And Rabbi Nezal concluded that I'm not envious at all of the, of the fame, of the, the famous people that there are today. Making it clear that this type of situation existed during Rabbi Nezal's time. And Rabbi Nezal understood what it was. And he said that this, this is nothing new. This is how the world operates. I remember hearing in one of the shurim that I heard when I first came to Breslov as a teenager from Rebbe Yechaim Rosenzach, trying to recall the context that Rabbi Nosenzal, during the machlokas that he was going through, the incredible opposition that he experienced, he was once talking to somebody about it, and he said that there was a story about a very, very great professor who was knowledgeable, he came, he invented all kinds of new things that benefited the world in a big way, and he had a student whom he taught, <clears throat> and the student was a good student, but couldn't be compared at all to the teacher. And somehow, this student became famous, and there was once a time where there was a major banquet where they wanted to honor the student, and the student was there, and his teacher was there. And the spotlight, all the spotlight and the, the, the focus was on the student. And the teacher turned to the student like incredulous, like, you know, look at this, look how absurd, how ridiculous this is. They're all looking to you as if you're so great, and they don't realize that you're just a student. You, you have a little bit of what I... And the student smiled and said to the teacher, 
don't you know that it's always like this in the world? It's always like this, that, that the, the world is upside down. The world perceives the person who's smaller to be bigger and the one who's bigger to be smaller. Just like we saw this in last week's Torah Parsha, where it speaks about the life of Chayisora, what we read this past Shabbos yesterday. It begins, Vayu Chayisora Mea Shona, Viesrim Shona, Sheva Shonim. The life of Sora was a hundred year, twenty year, and seven years. The smallest number, the small number, the seven, is called Shonim, years, plural. The large numbers, 120, are called Shona, singular. And the Zohar Kodesh says that in this world, one who is small in this world is really big. And the ones in this world who are big, they're really small. This is part of the topsy-turvy, the upside-down situation in the world. We should be zeicher. The pasuk says, "Svas emes tikoin load." That there's going to come a time in the future when the truth will be established, when the entire world will see that this tiny little neighborhood called Eretz Yisrael. When a person looks at a map of the Middle East, you look at these large countries: Syria, Iraq, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, all gigantic countries compared to this tiny little sliver called Eretz Yisrael. And this small little nation, the Jewish people, the world will come to realize that, that this was the whole purpose of creation was for the sake of Klal Yisrael, for the sake of Eretz Yisrael, and especially for the sake of those who believe in Hashem and who try to serve Hashem. We should be zeichet to see the final Geula Shlema and the complete downfall of all the enemies of the Jewish people with the coming of Moshiach, the Binyan Beis Hamikdash, Bemher Amen Amen.